Perhaps over the last few weeks, you found yourself rubbing your temples to find some relief from the stress and anxiety that you're experiencing. I want you to take your fingers and touch right behind your temples into the front of your ears. Located deep inside the frontal lobes of your brain are two almond-shaped clusters called your amygdalae. Now your amygdalae are your brain's alarm system. If someone breaks into your house, your alarm system goes off. There's bells and alarms and sirens and lights that are flashing and emergency calls made to the police and soon hopefully someone comes and responds to that alarm system. Well, your amygdala operates in the same way. It's the alarm system of your brain. So when you're crossing the street and you didn't do what your mother told you, you didn't look both ways. And so you step out into the street and you see a car coming. You don't consciously think, I'm moving slow. The car is moving fast. It's bigger than me. I need to get out of the way because I might get hurt. No, what happens? Your amygdala take over and you are automatically in that fight or flight response to get out of the way. The rest of your body reacts when the alarm system of our amygdala goes off. Your pupils dilate to improve your vision. Your breathing is faster to get uh, oxygen into your lungs. Your adrenaline kicks up to help you run faster and to move quicker. Even your bowel system reacts sometimes embarrassingly to eliminate extra weight so that you can move faster. We are ready and now more alert than ever. We don't like, however, super sensitive or oversensitive alarm systems. A few years ago, it was a windy day and I didn't think anything of it and the doorbell rang and I went down and opened the door and to my surprise, there was a police officer standing there. He said, is everything okay? And I said, well, yeah, everything's fine. He said, we got an alarm. And he said, I went around back and checked and there was nothing back there. And apparently the wind had blown against the window and it set off the alarm without us knowing about it. I thanked him and he was on his way. And then I got my notice about a false alarm. But we don't like those oversensitive alarm systems that go off when there's really nothing wrong. And perpetual anxiety is like an oversensitive alarm. It's always going off. And in uh, these moments that we're in, we can uh, kind of feel like our alarm systems are going off all the time. And there's always a sense of, a perpetual heightened awareness and we're always kind of on alert. But at other times we also can find that these oversensitive alarm systems in our lives that are caused by anxiety cause us to react and it causes us sometimes physically to react and to respond. Oversensitive alarm systems in our brains, um, we see a mole and we automatically think it's cancer. Our teenagers are sullen and withdrawn and we automatically think that they're going to become drug addicts. Or we think we're going to get coronavirus and die. And it's this automatic alarm system that seems to be hypersensitive and it feeds on uh, sometimes fear, but it, see, it, it definitely feeds on anxiety. Limited anxiety is helpful and it helps us to respond appropriately. A young man who's about ready to ask a young lady out on a date is appropriately anxious. And so he wants to make a good impression. And so he wants to choose his words carefully and he makes sure to put on deodorant and comb his hair and do all the things that he does. And anxiety motivates him to uh, be more of a gentleman and to uh, mind his manners and to say yes, sir, to her father and, and on and on. So appropriate anxiety is good, but a constant state of alert is not. 
God created our brains with chemicals and mood elevators and tranquilizers. So dopamine and serotonin restore our joy and our peace. However, if our amygdalae are constantly firing, it's always sending out the signal and it never allows for the dopamine and the serotonin to, to come in and give us a sense of joy and peace. The brain never gets a rest and we are always edgy and restless. And perhaps over the last few weeks, you have found yourself in that place where your amygdalae are just constantly firing. It's this uh, alarm system. It's always going off. And you feel like you can't have any peace or any settledness. And the dopamine and serotonin are never allowed to kind of wash over our brains and bring in that sense of peace. The good news is this. God can calm our amygdalae. And that's what we're looking at as we talk about this time of anxiousness, looking at Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now Paul says always. There isn't a qualifier on that. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord only on Christmas or only on vacation or only on my birthday or only when there's no trouble. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord when I'm unemployed. Rejoice in the Lord when one of my kids is sick. Re Joyce in the Lord, even today in the midst of a pandemic, always includes today, always includes right now, whenever you're watching this or listening to this, always includes this very moment. There was a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. He lived centuries before Paul, but he knew the challenge of what it means to live in difficult circumstances. Both he and Paul knew the challenge of imprisonment and knew the challenge of what it means to, to be in a very difficult place. While in prison, Joseph had, betr had befriended two of uh, the men from Pharaoh's court. One was a cupbearer and one was a baker. And in prison, both of these uh, officials of Pharaoh's court were troubled by their dreams. And Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. And the bad news for the baker was this. He says, you're going to die. The good news for the cupbearer was this. You're going to go back to Pharaoh. In fact, the way the Bible puts it is this, is that the, uh, Joseph tells the chief uh, cupbearer his head would be, uh, his head would be um, lifted up and the baker's head would be lifted off. And so both of their heads uh, were, going to, uh, were indicative of what's going to happen to them. And so Joseph asked the cupbearer because he knew that his head was going to be lifted up. He was going to be restored back to Pharaoh's uh, in the position in Pharaoh's court, he said, hey, when you get there, would you put in a good word for me? And the cupbearer agreed. He was released from prison, and Joseph waited anxiously. And the Bible says this in Genesis 40, verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Seems like everyone forgot Joseph. His brothers didn't like his dreams about them that they were going to bow down to him and that he was going to be more important than them. And so they decided to kill him and throw him into a pit. Fortunately for Joseph, their greed was greater than their need for blood. And so they sold Joseph into a band of merchants. And even Jacob, Joseph's father, was missing in action. We don't really hear about him looking for Joseph um, or um, going even to find the body if he thought he was dead. And so Joseph ended up in Egypt, and he ended up in Potiphar's house in a position of, 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 of prominence. And uh, Potiphar's wife tried to lure Joseph to bed, but he refused. And uh, as she enticed him to come, she grabbed him, and he ran out of the house and left his coat in her hands. Well, she accused him of attempted rape, 
And so her husband uh, took her side and he tossed Joseph into prison. He was in jail for a crime that he didn't commit, but he didn't give up. He became a model prisoner. In fact, he made such a good impression that the warden put him in charge of the prison. And so this is where he met the baker and the cupbearer. The cupbearer forgot. And Joseph was in prison, the Bible tells us, for two years until uh, the, after the cupbearer's release. And that's a long time for Joseph to be in despair. He had hoped, as the cupbearer was released, that he would go and immediately send word to uh, get him out of prison. But it took two long years. And in those moments, you bet, Joseph thought things like, I'm innocent. Is this how God treats the righteous? Is this a reward for good behavior? I did the right thing, but here I am in prison. The cupbearer gave me his word, and now he has broken his promise. We hang on people's word when they say they're going to do something for us, and it takes a long time for them to get back to us. Maybe you've ever gone for a job interview, and at the interview, it seems to go really well, and, and they say, we will let you know. So what do you do? Every day, you check your email multiple times, and days go by, and weeks go by, and a month goes by, and you don't hear anything. And we know what it feels like to feel forgotten. And don't we ask the same questions? Where is God in all this? Or God, I play by your rules, and, and this is the reward that I get? I've ended up at the food bank. I never thought I'd be in line to get food. And where is God in all this? And sometimes we can ask the question, does God care? Is he aware of what's going on? You see, the philosophies of the world have to answer that question. Deism says no. Deism says that God created the world and he wound it up like a clock and now he's hands off and he doesn't care. He's not aware. He's not involved. Pantheism says no. God doesn't care. He's not aware that we are just all part of this God. We, there is no story or purpose to our lives. Atheism says no. If there's no God, then there's no plan and there's no purpose. But Christianity says yes. There is a God, and he is personally involved in his creation. Hebrews 1.3 says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided for purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Sustaining, the Bible says, is what Jesus is doing. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. And that word sustaining means carrying or bringing. The friends who had a paralyzed man carried him to Jesus. The servants who brought the wine to Jesus at the wedding. They were carrying this wine. In other words, the friends of the paralyzed man and the servants at the wedding were sustaining the man and sustaining the wine. They guaranteed a safe delivery. And the Bible says that that's what Jesus is doing for us. He is sustaining all things. He is carrying all things. He is guaranteeing their safe delivery. He is active in his creation. He is not distant. He is not removed from his creation. Let's look at a few more scriptures. Colossians 1.17 says this, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Acts 17.28 says this, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
Because of Jesus, the law of gravity doesn't change. Because of Jesus, spring comes after winter, and winter comes after fall, and fall comes after summer. Because of Jesus, there is an order to the universe, because God is holding this together. God is the one at the helm. Listen to Psalm 104. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that glads human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that what? That sustains their hearts. That's what God is doing. He is sustaining and he is moving and he is involved in his creation. He is not hands off. He is not distant. Matthew 5, 45 says this, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you look out your window now, whatever the weather is like, whether it's sunny or rainy, it is God who does that. It's God who brings order to the universe. It's God who is sustaining. It is God who is moving. It's God who is carrying. So if God's in charge, why is Joseph in prison? If God's in charge, why is my marriage in trouble? If God's in charge, why do challenges come my way? If God is in charge, why wouldn't he prevent them? And we are in those moments, often like Joseph, we're sitting in this place where we know that something good may be coming, but we haven't quite seen it yet. We haven't heard back from the cupbearer. We haven't heard word from Pharaoh that I can get out of this situation. And in these moments, we can ask those very difficult questions and we can ask those tough questions in life. I think these are a couple ways that we can rejoice in the Lord always. A couple ways that we can take this verse and apply it to our lives and really to live this life in the moment, in the always, in the, in the right now where we find ourselves. The first way is this, is to understand that difficulties can serve a higher purpose. Here's the rest of Joseph's story. Pharaoh was troubled by his dreams, just like the baker and the cupbearer were troubled by theirs. You see, it was Joseph's dreams that got him in trouble in the first place. And now he is helping those who are troubled by their dreams. And so Pharaoh, of all people, were, was troubled by his dreams. And so the cupbearer, two years later, remembered, oh, there was a guy in prison that I met. And he can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh went and got Joseph out of prison. And Pharaoh's dreams were about an impending famine. And so because Joseph understood what the dreams meant, Pharaoh put him in charge to manage the crisis. And so Egypt, through the years of plenty, had stored up the grain. And then as the famine come, they had grain to offer and grain to pass out. And one of those families who were suffering from the famine was, guess who? Joseph's family. Jacob and his Joseph's brothers were also suffering in this famine. And because they were suffering and they heard that there was grain in Egypt, they went down to Egypt. And so through a series of events, they went and ended up in Egypt. They didn't recognize Joseph. And so Joseph does this kind of little game with his brothers. He, he uh, sends them back with some silver and then he sends men after them and pulls them back. You need to read the story in Genesis. It's a, it's a great story. But more importantly, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. You can imagine the look on Joseph's brother's face when they didn't know what had happened to him, and all of a sudden they find out he's the guy in charge, and there's that sinking feeling when they realize, uh-oh, if he's the guy in charge, he has some power to bring us some harm. And here's what Joseph answered them in Genesis chapter 50. You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Remember, Joseph's brothers had to be scared because they knew this was the guy that they tried to first kill. Then they sold to merchants passing by. And now he's in charge of everything. And he has the power to harm them. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. There are two words in this verse that give us hope in our prison, our pandemic, in our problems, our panic, our plight, our pests, and our plagues. There are two words that give us hope in the midst of all those. And these two words are this, but God. Joseph said, you intended harm, but God intended good. Joseph urges us to view sufferings through the lens of God's care and providence. If we don't, anxiety will follow us all the days of our lives, and our amygdala will be over-firing and over-sensitive and causing us always to live in a state of alarm. If we allow ourselves to view situations through the lens of God's providence, that he is moving, that he is working, that he is active, that he cares for his creation, it'll alleviate our anxiety and help with our stress. What alleviates the stress of an atheist? Maybe some scented candles, maybe some deep breathing, maybe some meditation. But what relieves our stress? Our stress is that we know a God who cares for us. God's providence and care help us battle anxiety with two words, but God. I want you to, if you remember nothing else, is I want you to remember those two words, but God. We are in difficult times, but God. We are in difficult financial straits, but God. I know people who are getting sick and perhaps have died from COVID-19, but God. I go to the doctor and find out the cancer is back, but God. My son hasn't come back home yet, but God. You see, Joseph's brothers intended to harm Joseph, but God used their intended harm and he turned it around for intended good. He ultimately brought good from this very difficult circumstance. Now listen, God never robbed them from their free will. They all had a choice in this whole matter. He never imposed uh, his nature upon them, but he also didn't allow their sin to rule the day. So here's what God did. He rerouted their evil into something good. Remember the cupbearer? It took two years for God to reroute all of that to bring it about. God's plan sometimes takes a while to accomplish. His providence takes a while to move because he's dealing with many parts, many sinful parts. That's us. You see, Joseph could have got out of prison the day after the cupbearer was released, but the cupbearer forgot. And it wasn't until this famine came or the Pharaoh's dreams came that the cupbearer remembered. And so God is moving, but remember, he's moving with all these uh, many, many parts, all of us and all of our choices, but he's ultimately bringing about his purpose and his plan. He's ultimately bringing about what he intends to happen. The ultimate proof of God's providence and care in our lives is the death of Jesus. No other day was so dark. His disciples had hoped that he was the one that was to come, and there he was hanging on the cross. He had died and he was buried. No other day looked like God's plans were not going to succeed. 
But on the day of Pentecost, preacher said, uh, Peter said this as he was preaching in Acts chapter 2. This man, that was Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God knew what was going to happen to Jesus. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This is God's plan and the actions of man. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Did you see those two words? God's plan was to send Jesus and uh, men put him on the cross. And so God was moving all of that. And there at the beginning of verse 24, but God, but God raised him from the dead. Everyone thought it was over, but God, God raised Jesus from the dead. God's providence and care will, uh, are evident in our lives as he is involved in his creation. And so whatever we look at, we can always tag on those two words, but God. The story of Joseph teaches us this. We have a choice. We can focus on our hurt or we can focus on our hope. We can get caught up in the chaos or we can press into a God of order. We can focus on our circumstances or on God's promises. And all of those things tag on that but God for whatever it is that brings us anxiety. In the famous lace shops of Brussels, Belgium, certain rooms are dedicated to the spinning of the finest lace in the most delicate of patterns. And these rooms are completely dark except for a shaft of natural light that comes through a single window. Only one spinner sits in the room and the light falls upon the pattern while the worker remains in the dark. We're oftentimes sitting in the dark and it seems like we can only see the the fabric of our circumstances. It seems like we can only see the, the gloom and the doom and the darkness that's around us. But like those spinners of that famous lace teach us, the light shines on the pattern. The light shines upon the plan. The light of God illuminates the way. And there is a place where we tend, to, instead of focusing on the dark, is to look at the plan. And it's the providence and care of God that is moving in our lives. There's a lot not to like about the current worldwide shutdown. Long hair and short patience. We can't shake hands or give hugs. We can't gather into corporate assembly. Scientists contradict themselves from one day to the next. And some scientists contradict each other totally about what's going on. And... Uh, they contradict to come out with new evidence or uh, updated evidence, and we are very confused. They act like nobody should question them. The reports of people, obviously, who are sick and those who have died are, are uh, enough for us to uh, be, become sad and, and just overwhelmed. People who have lost jobs and the long lines of people needing food. And you certainly could add your own list of of uh, gripes or irritations to what we're currently going on. Can't see loved ones and uh, kids missing out on graduations and all kinds of things. But Paul says this, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And that means today, not when this is over. That means right now in the moment, we are to rejoice in the Lord where we are. The reality is, this may not be over. 
Everyone's hoping on a vaccine, but what if a vaccine doesn't come? Can I still rejoice in the Lord? Can I rejoice in the Lord always? Can I rejoice in the Lord in this moment? Instead of the amygdala of my brain constantly firing, it is God who gives us a new lens and a new perspective. And I can look at this situation and I can say, but God. There's a story about a plane crash survivor marooned on a deserted island who prayed earnestly that God would help him endure the elements and eventually spare his life. Every morning, he knelt and prayed for God's blessing as he worked diligently to build a suitable shelter that would sustain him of the upcoming winter season. Weeks later, the shelter was completed and he gave God thanks for answered prayer. But that night, lightning hit the makeshift cabin and it burned completely to the ground. At one point, the distraught survivor broke down and wrestled with serious doubts. How could God let this happen? Why would God leave the impression of blessing every day and then allow a fire to dash his hopes? A few hours later, the captain of a passing ship motored up to shore and rescued the man and he explained, we saw your smoke signal and we came to rescue you. Sometimes in the midst of terrible tragedy or what seems like a terrible tragedy, God is at work even when we don't see it. In the midst of the storm, he comes to save us. And so he helps us to see that I can view the circumstances of life because sometimes they have a higher purpose. Sometimes the purpose, uh, oftentimes the purpose is not my comfort, but it's the development of my character. I see Christians and believers, and I'm concerned at times, who are very fatalistic, who are very angry, who are very um, distraught at other people and what other people are doing or what they're not doing or what they're saying or what they're not saying. And then they tag on, but my faith is intact. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that if I'm so fatalistic and I'm, I'm so angry and I'm so distraught that if I'm really resting on my faith or that I'm allowing fear to dictate. Because Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And what happens is when I rejoice in him always, I view circumstances through a different lens. I view it through the circumstance of but God. The second thing or the second way that we can rejoice in the Lord always, even through these difficult times is this is that we, when we can't understand what God is doing, we can trust his goodness. This is the, the behind the scenes working. We can trust God's character. He is good and he works good, although all things are not good. You know the verse, or you've heard this before, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Remember, this verse doesn't say all things are good. What does it say? Is God works for the good of those who love him. Who are those who love him? Those who have committed themselves to him, who have surrendered themselves to him, who are uh, walking in trust with him. And for those, he says, who've been called according to his purpose. It's an old line that was turned into a song years ago. When you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. His purpose is summed up in two words, but God. And when I can't understand and when I can't see what God is doing, 
I can trust his heart. I can trust his character. I can trust his goodness. I can trust in who he is, even though I can't trust or see uh, or, or uh, the things around me are difficult, but I can always trust God. The third thing is this. If your anxiety is on overtime, remember, but God. If you find that your anxiety is on overtime and that you have no peace or no joy and the serotonin and dopamine just cannot come down in your brain because you're amygdala or just overfiring, remember this, but God. But God activates something deep inside of us. Remember, your amygdala are to either activate fight or flight. And sometimes they activate freeze. I just don't know what to do. I'm paralyzed. But here's what happens when I remember, but God. Instead of fight, flight, or freeze, I can faith. As a verb, faithing. As a verb, trusting. As a verb, being faithful. I remember but God to activate my faith. When your home security system goes off unintentionally, you have to enter a code to reset it or a code to turn it off or a code to stop it. And the alarm system in your life, the code to reset the alarm system in your life of, of, of anxiety that is constantly being uh, uh, overwhelming is that code, but God. Faith sees beyond our problems to the providence of God. You see, what happens is the cupbearer's head was what? It was lifted up. Psalm 121 reminds us the very same thing. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. How do we lift up our eyes? It's when we lift up our heads and we say, where does my help come from? And the Bible constantly encourages us to lift up, to raise our sights, to not focus on the things of the here and now, but to focus on God. And so I lift up my eyes to the mountains. I lift them up to see God and for who he is. He cares for you. God's providence and care are evident in Jesus. God's providence and care are evident in what he's done on the cross. If you ever doubt that God doesn't care and God is not active, all you need to do is look to the cross. All you need to do is, is look to Jesus. The world thought it had won. Satan thought that he had a victory. Jesus was dead. His followers were despondent. They were in despair. And then we read those, those two words, but God. But God raised him from the dead. And so now in this time of anxiety, in this time of, of fretting, in this time of fear, would you remember those words, but God? All of us now are in this place where Joseph was. We're kind of in that waiting time. We're kind of in that, that moment. We're waiting for word for when we can get out of this situation. We're waiting for a, a word when we can uh, be free from this place where we are. But even in this moment, Paul reminds us, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember, Paul wrote those words when he too was in prison and he was in, in, that, in chains for the gospel, Joseph was in prison and, and Paul was in prison. And Paul wrote to us, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Like he didn't want us to miss the point. And my faith means something and it, it, it's, it's, it's real. It's more than just head knowledge. When I can face these moments and say, Lord, there, there are things to rejoice in you. 
Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say rejoice in the circumstances. He said rejoice in the Lord. And how do I rejoice in the Lord? I rejoice in the Lord, but God. All the things that are happening around us. You see, God doesn't expect us to understand it all, but what he wants us is to have faith, and he wants us to have trust. I can't always find an answer. I can't always get what I'm looking for. But one of the things I can always do, I can always trust God's providence and care over my life. But God, would you look at the circumstances through a different lens? That difficulties can lead us to this, this higher purpose? That difficulties can, can help us... Um, develop our character, and, and yes, develop our faith. Difficulties point out those areas of flesh in our lives. Those times when I'm angry, those times when I'm irritable, those times I have to ask, why am I those things? And so, so God's using that to chisel off those rough edges. So would you just allow these moments to serve a higher purpose, to strengthen my faith and to strengthen my trust in God? And when you are despondent, when you are anxious, when you are fearful and fretting, remember those two words, but God. We can rejoice in the Lord always. Will you rejoice in him right now? You see, this time, this moment, right now, is the moment of always. And now this moment is the moment of always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we can do it when we remember that God's providence and care for us. He will carry us safely. He will bring us, sustain us to get us to the place that he wants to bring us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your providence and care in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your watch care and your involvement in your creation, that you are not distant, that, Father, you haven't forgotten about us, that, Father, you are not uh, hands-off, but you are involved. And God, yes, these circumstances are not good, but you are a God who is good. And Father, will we allow these moments to accomplish a higher purpose, to accomplish something deeper inside of us? And Father, would you also help us to remember these moments, what you have done for your people and what you will do for your people and what you are doing for your people. When we look around, we see the circumstances. Help us remember, but God. Joseph's brothers intended harm, but you intended good. And so, Father, we look at our circumstances always to remember, but God, that you are the God who loves us and cares for us, that we can rejoice in you always. And Father, would you turn off the alarm systems in our minds of over-sensitive and over-active anxiety as we trust in your providence and care for our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.